All right, so I bless myself. All right, now Jesus hears me. Now he's look. Now he's looking at me. Seven billion people in the world, but I did the gang sign. So now he's talking to me. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Wake the Monster channel. Thanks for stopping by. Make sure before you do anything else, you like, comment, share, and subscribe down below. Let me know what you want to talk about. Let me know what kind of conversations you want to have on my channel. Uh, and share it with your friends. Let's get this conversation going, right? Let's start talking about some stuff on here. So, wake the monster. What's that whole... What are we here? What are you saying? Right, you going to turn into some mutant? Going to do something crazy? No. Wake the monster is a personal mantra for me, right? Uh, a lot of people have things like, you know, I'm a lion. Uh, you know, all those cliche things that, that people say, right? You know, uh, everybody wants to be a lion until it's time to do lion shit. Uh... You know, you, you, you name it, right? Work hard, play hard. Uh, let's get this money, get to work, all that, all that other kind of crazy stuff, right? So everybody's got things that they say to try and fit into some sort of in-crowd, in-group. And I hate that. I can't stand it. Because you see it on social media, you see it on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Especially that lion one. That lion one really gets me. Because you... Everybody's out there posting and, and, and sharing like, oh, I'm a lion, I'm a lion, I'm a lion. But you're living in your mom's basement or you're working like some 725 job and you want them to start paying you 15 an hour to do the same work instead of just making yourself better, kicking that job to the curb and going and getting a bigger one or going out and doing your own thing, starting your own business, right? We all got skills that we can monetize. That's an option too, right? So for me... Wake the monster is my own thing. It's my own mantra that I use for myself. If you like it, take it, run with it. That's fine. I don't care. That, that If it gets you going, good. It's kind of the point of, of starting this channel is to get people going, get people rolling. But that's what I think about. Um, it goes with, I wake up before 5 a.m. and I'm in the gym by 5.15 and I'm getting my work in. Wake the monster, right? Get up, get to work. Be hard, be strong, all that kind of stuff. So that's why I named this channel Wake the Monster, because it's my mantra, it's my thing, everything around it is going to be about being a monster. And I got it from the, the line that you hear Jordan Peterson quoted a lot. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it because I, I butcher people when I quote them. So Jordan Peterson talks about being a good man does not mean you are harmless, right? A harmless man is actually a bad man. Because you can't do anything, you can't defend, you can't protect, you can't take care of people as a man's role in society generally should be, right? So he says, a good man is actually a monster. You should be a monster. A good man is a man who is very capable of violence, but also has it under control, has it in check, knows when to actually deliver it, knows when to use it. So I heard him say that. I like the monster aspect. I took it, spun it, wake the monster. That's my thing. Wake up, let's get to work. So what are we going to talk about today? Today is going to be about Jesus. Now, I am a Christian. It is a big part of, of my operating system is to try and follow along the, the teachings. We fail a lot. I fail a lot. I'm well aware of that, right? There is no perfect Christian. So... I'm not out here to try and sit on some moral mantle with this conversation. Uh, I just want to talk about them. And this channel is not going to be 
Bible verses every day and all that kind of stuff. I just thought it would be interesting to start with Jesus because of the way that a lot of churches and a lot of organizations and a lot of media, and I say media, I'm not talking like CNN, Fox, all that other, all those crappy guys over there. I just mean media as in what we consume. They paint Jesus in a very different light than than I see him, or than if you really sat down and read the Bible, the way you might see him also. So right off the bat, Jesus was not a pacifist. He was not somebody who hid from fights. He was not somebody who opposed violence. He cared about everybody, right? He he's he's always kind of portrayed as this soft, loving, flowery type hippie almost. But that's not what he was. And I, I get a lot of my thought process. I was reading a book last week called Beautiful Outlaw, and it's by John Aldridge. He's one of my favorite authors when it comes to writing about Jesus or just Christianity as a whole. Um, he has another book that I read called Wild at Heart, and a lot of his books are trying to speak to boys and men and talk about, hey, like, it's okay to be wild. You know, it's okay to go crazy every now and then. Um He's not out there saying commit crimes, right? But he's saying, like, hey, go jump off of something real tall. You know, go, you know, be willing to fight to defend something, right? It's okay. Those kind of things are things that that boys and men need to do. It's in our heart. And God put it there. So, like I said, Jesus was not a pacifist. And one of the best stories about that is when he was 12 years old and he walked into the temple and there were merchants out there selling their goods, selling their services, snake oil salesmen. And you got all these priests running around selling cures and selling blessings. And Jesus got pissed, right? 12-year-old Jesus, the son of God, God in human form. He got pissed pissed off because Jesus was God, but as you know, I'm Christian, this is my belief. Jesus was God, but Jesus was also completely human. He felt what we felt. He experienced what we experienced. When he when we get tired, Jesus got tired. Right? When we have urges, Jesus had urges. Like all that stuff existed. He was fully man. So Jesus walks in the temple, he sees these people doing some wild stuff in there, and he gets pissed off. What does he do? Let me know in the comments if you know. I'm about to tell you here in a second, right? So take this time, timestamp it, and say, you know, hey, this is what Jesus did. Jesus got a whip and chased everybody out of the temple. Just cracking the whip, going crazy. Now, when you hear that story, you think, all right, Jesus kind of snapped for a second. Right. When I was growing up, I'm, I'm, I'm just processing, okay, and then Jesus grabbed the whip and then just started cracking it and chasing people, screaming at people, get out of my father's home, all this and that. Okay, cool. But think about this, right? Jesus was not a pacifist. That was an act of violence. That was an act of aggression. He was swinging a whip at people, 
You ever been hit by a whip? I have. It hurts, right? Like a straight up, legit, big black rope whip, right? I, I did a summer in Australia. I got hit by that thing. It sucks, okay? So Jesus was about violence in that moment. Where'd the whip come from? Where'd the whip come from? He made it. He, he went out and he made a whip and then went in and chased people out. So not only did he commit violence, not only did he utilize violence to solve the problem, being fully man, but it was premeditated violence because he had to go out and make a whip. He walks into a temple. He sees a bunch of people doing some dumb stuff. He walks out and he says, I'm going to solve this. I'm going to solve this problem right now. I'm going to go make a whip. I'm going to go make a weapon. And I'm going to bring it back and I'm going to start swinging it at their heads. Does that sound like Jesus you know? Does that sound like Jesus sitting in a field picking flowers? Nope. But that's what it was. My man went out and just started swinging on people with a whip that he made. Premeditated violence. It was useful in that situation. That's my point. And I'm not saying every time somebody looks at you sideways, you just start swinging at them. That's not my point. All right? Remember, you should be a monster, but you should be in total control of it and only use it when it's actually necessary. Jesus, used, he, Jesus decided, hey, this is necessary. I'm going to start swinging. I never thought about that before, though. Before I read that book, Beautiful Outlaw, I never thought about where'd the whip come from, right? Because Jesus isn't some Marvel superhero. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He's God, right? But he wasn't creating energy weapons and then just swinging them around. He didn't have Thanos' glove. None of that stuff was real. He had to go out and make the whip. That's wild, right? And really just sit down and think about that story. That is a wild story about Jesus. That's not what gets portrayed in church. That's not what gets portrayed in Catholic school. I went through 12 years of Catholic school, from kindergarten till I graduated high school. Didn't hear the story that way. Probably would have went to more services if I heard the story that way. You know what I mean? So, Jesus wasn't a pacifist. He wants you to love each other. But sometimes loving somebody means swinging for them. Or maybe swinging at them, Right? I mean, dudes, let's let's call it what it is. Every now and then, you got to smack your boy around, you know? I know me and my friends have had several moments where it's like, let's fight. Let's, let's, let's throw some stuff down, right? Broken set of glasses, ripped pants, choked out. That's, it is what it is, right? We got we to gotta kind of work through some stuff. We're still boys today because of it, right? So it, that's, what it, that's what we do. What about teasing people? What about playing jokes on people? You think Jesus did that? You better believe he did that. The, the, the Bible is full of stories about Jesus just fooling people, tricking people, playing jokes and pranks on people. Just living in the moment that he can do whatever he wants. And uh, you know what? Here, I'm going to really freak these guys out by doing this. So... Beautiful Outlaw again. This is kind of like a book summary. I'm summarizing. All this stuff is stuff that John Eldridge writes about in his book. Um, I think it's important for us to have a conversation about it here. 
So he gives two examples in the book. One is a story, even if you're not Christian or Catholic or anything like that, even if, if, if you don't have a faith or, or believe in Christ, um, you've probably heard a lot of these stories. So I'm not going to tell the full detail of the story. Also, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a priest, none of that. I'm just some dude who thinks Jesus is cool, right? So I'm not qualified to speak in depth on that. So I'm really just giving you a little bit of book review here. So the two examples that John Aldridge uses is one, the fishermen on the boat, they can't catch any fish. So Jesus sees them out there fishing. They can't catch any fish. Jesus says, hey, what's up? Where's your fish? Right? Like, you got no fish, but you're fishermen. You're out there. You've been out here working all day. I've been standing on the shoreline watching you. Um, you're out there on your boat. You can't catch a thing. What's going on? And they're like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Now, Jesus is is disguised in this situation, right? Like, probably has his hood up, something along those lines. He's shielding himself in a way that the people don't know it's him. So... The dudes are like, yeah, I don't know what's going on, man. Can't catch any fish, blah, blah, blah. And then Jesus says, throw your net on the left side of the boat. So they do. And they catch like like 6,000 fish or 5,000 fish. Something. I forget the number. The number the number is significant in the story, but um, I forget what the number is. I just know it was like thousands, right? They caught so many fish that they couldn't pull the net back into the boat. So after that, they realize, oh, Dude, that's Jesus. Like, there's no way we just caught 5,000 fish without it being Jesus. So they jump out of the boat, they run to shore, swim to shore, and then, you know, boom, Jesus. Hey, cool, bring him over here, let's party, right? And we're going to get to partying with Jesus here in a minute. Because you think Jesus didn't party? Mm, come on now. Fully human. Fully man. We party? Yeah, we party. So, right, Jesus is out there like, all right, throw it over on the side of the boat. Left side, that's where they are. That's my guess. I bet you 20 bucks they're on the left side of the boat. 5,000 fish, right? All right, cool. Bring them over here. Let's party. The other one is after he died, right? Jesus died. Three days later, rose again. It's the resurrection. Big aspect of Christianity. Big aspect of believers in Christ. Jesus rises, and two of his disciples are walking down the road. They don't know... They think, hey, Jesus is dead. Our leader, our God is gone. He's passed away. What are we going to do? So these two dudes are walking down the road. Jesus walks up on them again, disguised, hidden, sees them sad, says, hey, what's going on? Why are you guys sad? You know, like, what do you mean, why are we sad? Like, do you not know where we are, what just happened three days ago? Like, Lord and Savior of the world died. He was murdered on the cross. What, what, who are you? Where are you from to be asking us these questions? You know, and these are questions that they actually asked Jesus because they didn't know it was him. He was hidden. He was disguised. And Jesus just playing, just playing a prank on them, just joking with these guys, just fooling them. They're like, oh man, Jesus died. Wow, crazy. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. But it's him the whole time, just playing pranks on his dudes after he died, after he resurrected. Now he's God again. And he's still playing pranks on people. What's going on here, right? Is this the Jesus you know about? Jesus out there playing pranks in the stories you've heard? Is Jesus out there playing with his friends, toying with his friends, committing premeditated violence to solve problems? Is that the Jesus you know about? 
the one I learned about last week. Gave me a whole new world. Gave me a whole new look at what Christianity is. Spoke to me in a way that no pastor, nobody else has ever spoken to me, right? So we got premeditated violence. He wasn't a pacifist, obviously, based off of that story. Then we got him being a jokester, playing with his friends, hanging out with his boys. Go get 5,000 fish, throw on the left side of the boat. All right, cool. Now let's eat, right? What about partying? What about that part? I said we were going to get to it. So we're all familiar, I'm sure, with the water and wine story. Maybe we don't know the whole story, but water into wine. Jesus turns water into wine. All right. So there's another one that Aldridge writes about in Beautiful Outlaw. And he's breaking it down, and he's saying, like, do you realize how much wine he created out of that water? So the numbers are in the book. They talk about how many jugs, how many how many giant tub, uh, you know, bowls. Uh, and when we're talking, like, you got to think about the old school, like, on the ground, giant. Think about the giant flower pots that a tree could fit in that you put at your front door if you're one of those fancy people like that. That's what we're that's what we're talking about here. Something that size. Filled with water. And he takes all of that and turns it into wine. So first of all, let's get Jesus turns water into wine for a wedding. That's a party. Right? Like and Jesus is there. Jesus is at the party. Fully human. Fully God, fully human. Right? You think Jesus ain't partying at this party? Come on now. Right? He's having a good time. He's out there laughing, playing with his friends, having a grand old time. He turned that water into 908 bottles of wine. Right? Now try playing that in 908 bottles of wine on the wall all night. Right? Try and go all the way down to zero. That's going to take a long time. That's how much water into wine. He created 908 bottles of wine based on the numbers that the Bible puts out there for us. Who's doing that and then turning around and saying, hey, alcohol's bad, don't do it. Like, there's no God that's saying that to you, right? Hey, you guys, 908 bottles, have a great time. But also, like, forever after this, don't ever touch alcohol. That's not a thing, right? Jesus is out there partying with these guys. I'm not saying he drank. I don't know didn't read enough into the story, and then Audrey did not brief me on that in his book, right? But, like, logically, it doesn't make sense. If Jesus is going to let these people drink, if Jesus is going to take water, turn it into 908 bottles of wine, and then say, be merry at this wedding, why should we think that alcohol is bad for us today? And that's a common thing in Christianity, is a lot of people, especially some of the, the older generation, this is more common in, I would say, is that alcohol is bad because there's and i'm a i'm a butcher the name but there's a leviticus it's like a leviticus rule a levitic rule something along those lines anyway the statement in the bible says you shall not partake in something that would allow your brother to fall so the idea there goes into don't allow things to exist that will allow somebody else to be tempted to then disobey God, break a commandment, something along those lines. So we see like the obvious stuff in there. Hard drugs, pornography, those kind of things are things that your brother would fall, right? 
But a lot of people take alcohol and they put it in that category. Now we understand, right? Like alcoholism is a real thing. A lot of people in the world are predisposed to have alcoholism, to have a drink and then just let it downfall their life. We've seen alcohol destroy countless thousands, maybe millions of people. I understand that. Yes, in excess, it can be bad, as with anything in excess. But again, in the book Beautiful Outlaw, John Aldridge is talking about it, and he says he was at a seminar, and he's listening to this pastor talk about, hey, alcohol, don't allow your brother to fall. That means don't allow your brother to fall. That means we don't partake in alcohol. And Aldridge says, you know, I, I wanted to be a, a smartass in this moment. I, I really want to just raise my hand and be like, hey, uh, with the obesity epidemic in the world, does that mean we should stop eating food too? Like, just all together? Because food makes us obese and then that? So what's up? Like, how far are we taking this rule? You know? The Bible doesn't have anything about wine being a mortal sin. Or, you know, it doesn't break a commandment, right? Like Jesus turns water into alcohol. 908 bottles of alcohol at a party. So I think we're missing a point here somewhere when we're talking about, hey, you know, don't drink alcohol because we're going to let our brothers fall. I think we're taking that a little bit too far. Some people might need it. Some people might need that rule, right? That's kind of like the 12-step thing is, hey, like, we're going to take those those uh, temptations out of your life. We're going to learn how to cope with them. We're going to learn how to remove them. We're going to learn how to minimize them and deal with them when they do arise. And that's phenomenal. First of all, I'm not a heavy drinker in the first place. If I buy two six-packs in a year, it was a heavy drinking year for me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not a person who drinks very often. I, I really don't even drink socially. If I go out to a restaurant, maybe, maybe I'll have a Budweiser with my steak. And then when the, lit, the the waitress or waiter comes back around and says, can I get you another one? I switch over to a soda or a water or something else, right? It's just not been a big thing for me, right? My wife is not a drinker and, you know, I'm not a heavy drinker in the first place, never have been. I didn't even have like a 21st birthday party, right? Um, just never been a thing. I don't have anything against it. It's just not for me, right? But that's kind of my point. I don't have anything against it, but I'm still out here saying like, it's not, just control yourself, right? Self-control is important. Pay attention to your intake. If you know you have a problem with this, then stay away from it. I get that, right? But it shouldn't be something where we're just saying, well, the Bible says don't do it. Because it really doesn't. Like Jesus literally gave alcohol to a wedding and said, party on. Like 908, 908 bottles. Let's go. Let's rock. So I've always seen that one being silly. You know, my point that I want to get here is just, was Jesus a monster? Keeping in mind what I mean when when I use the term monster, right? A monster, to me, monster is not the thing sitting under the bed waiting to take the kid, right? Like that. Yes, we can call people on death row monsters. We can call murderers and rapists and all them. Like yes, monster is a term to use for them. 
but how like if somebody comes into my house if somebody breaks my door down and my wife and daughter are their targets and they want to do some harm to my wife and daughter they're a monster you're damn right i need to become one to stop them i need to be able to turn on my ability i need to be able to accept that violence is going to occur now it's either going to occur to them or I'm going to utilize it to protect them. So being a monster, there is a time. And that's the whole point. My whole mantra of myself, the reason I named this Wake the Monster, the reason I'm hashtag Wake the Monster on Instagram, all that kind of stuff is because you have to become one at points. You have to become one at times. Jesus became one at times. Jesus utilized violence premeditated violence to solve problems yes jesus was also the person who would heal people jesus was also the person to tell you to love your brother jesus was also the person that would give his own sandals if somebody needed them heal lepers raise people from the dead i like yes all of that stuff that's not even a story i got into right lazarus raising lazarus from the dead Removing the demon. What do you what do you, you think a soft person is doing that? You think a pacifist is walking up to the devil and saying, Hey, excuse me, sir, Lucifer, Satan, could you please leave this person alone? Could you please just kinda, you know, go away and don't come back? What do you think of the devil? The most evil man in the world. What do you think he is gonna say if you walk excuse me, sir, could you please stop? possessing this person you please let them go you think that's gonna work it's how we're getting things done with the devil no no jesus says get out obey me and leave get out of him he gets his big boy voice on he puts his big boy robe on and he gets to work he tells the devil where to go and how to get there come on he had to face a monster he had to become one to solve the problem. But he had it in control. He used it only when necessary. That is my point. Be a monster. Wake the monster inside you. But control it. Know when to utilize it. If you are not training in some form of self-defense, you need to right now. It's important, right? I have a background in Muay Thai, traditional martial arts, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, U.S. Air Force combatives. I laugh at the last one. Sure. I do too. Okay. But I'm always going out and trying to find a new place to learn a new skill that's going to make sure that when somebody comes for my wife and daughter, that they'll be safe. Because I'll be there. And I'll be capable to make sure it does not that nothing happens to them. That's wake the monster. That's my point. That's what I'm trying to say. I'll finish you with a story. When about probably like 10 years ago, right? I was at a church and I love the church and I love the people in the church and they're super cool. Um, possibility some of them that were there might see this. So I needed to be very clear up front 
I love these people, right? But we had a, a, a church basketball league. So every Monday night, we would get together in a gym that a, a church friend, actually a very good family friend of ours, um, he ran a school and he had a basketball court, indoor basketball court. So he would let us use it for some fellowship and some basketball games. So what we would do is we would go there Monday nights, pray a little bit with each other, kind of you know open the doors up to some people in the community because it's a low-income community. It's a socioeconomic, it's a struggling socio socioeconomic area. There, got it out. Um, you know, in places like that, they they need they need to hear the word, but they need to hear it a little bit different. You know, like pacifist, flowery Jesus doesn't work in urban areas. You, you got to get down to yo, like you can be a Christian and still be cool or still be capable, right? Still be you. So we're having this basketball game and one of the dudes rolls his ankle, goes down like hard, like a ton of bricks, right? And to me, like I was relatively new to church people. I, You know, I, I was kind of, I got baptized when I was older, like 27, maybe. Um, you know, so I'm a late bloomer when it comes to, to Jesus. I was raised Catholic, went to Catholic school, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, it was never like a very significant part of the way I operate or the way I look at the world or the way I make decisions until I was much older. So we're at this basketball game. We're just hooping, having a good time. And dude goes down and just rolls his ankle you know it ended up having it was sprained he might have had like a hairline fracture he was on crutches for a little while um but when he went down all these grown dudes around him just start praying like i get it we'll say a prayer for him like hey Hope you get a, a quick heal. You know, hope everything's okay. Nothing too terrible. You know, Jesus, please take care of our boy. I understand that. But he's laying in the middle of the court. And, and I'm not saying that as like, hey, I want to get back to the game. I'm saying like, my man's just laying right there in the middle of the court right now. What are we going to do? We need to get him to a position where we can start helping him. So all these guys just start praying. And I'm like, Hey, can we pick him up, please? So I walk over. I got a couple of my friends that were there with me. They were semi-attached to the church. They were through me, right? So we were all kind of similar. We were all kind of like, hey, this is weird, right? Like, first of all, praying in public kind of stuff is, is new to us in the first place. But th now this is just wild, right? So we pick him up. We carry him over to the bench. Grab an ice pack. We get him kind of wrapped up. He says it's okay. We kind of get out, finish our game a little bit. We kind of cut it short. And then, you know, we make sure he's got his ride. He can get to where he needs to go. And then we see him again at church the next week, and he's on crutches. You know, no permanent damage. One of those high ankle sprain. I'm off it for a few weeks. Everything will be okay kind of stuff. But it just totally baffled me. Like, the everybody just started praying. Nobody took action, you know, and that kind of goes to it, 
that kind of goes to that concept of like, what, what is Jesus in the church? What, what Jesus are you portraying to people? Because most of the churches that I've been to have been a very passive and unattainable. Like churches make Jesus out to be the CEO of Google and you're the janitor at some satellite location. You're never going to talk to the CEO of Google if you're the janitor at a satellite location. That's how most places make Jesus and God feel. Feel so detached, feel so far away. When I was raised Catholic, I always thought it was weird. I had like a legit complex about the sign of the cross, right? Because you make the sign of the cross and it's like, okay, now I'm talking to God, right? And then when you sign the cross again, then you're not talking to God anymore, right? The cut, you, you hung up the phone. So I would actually have complexes leaving in, in grade school. We go to church every Friday as a, class, as a school, right? Walking out of church, I'll be like, yo, did I bless myself the second time? Yo, I, kid, do you remember? Do you remember if I blessed myself the second time? Because if I didn't, he's still listening to my conversation. And I better not say a curse word because then he's going to hear it and then I'm screwed, Right? So like I'm having that kind of that kind of freak out complex in my own head like all right so I bless myself all right now Jesus hears me now he's look now he's looking at me seven billion people in the world but I did the gang sign so now he's talking to me right like what are we doing here then I forgot to do the gang sign to end the phone call so he's still on the phone listening to me but I'm out here saying stupid stuff with my friends now in in the playground and I'm I'm cursing or saying whatever dumb stuff I was saying to try and feel cool in eighth grade. Like, that that's not it. That ain't it. He's here right now. He's listening to me right now. He's watching you watch me. He's watching you interact with this. He's always there, right? He's always watching, and he's going to see you, and you're going to do something dumb, and he's going to be like, man, I knew he was going to do that. But then you go, oh, my bad, bro. And he says, all right, that's cool. Everything's good. All right, don't do it again. Hopefully you learn. Let's move forward. That's it. That's the relationship. He just wants to be your boy. Right? You should be able to talk to Jesus the same way that you talk to your boy from high school or you know your friend that you go get drinks with on, on Thursday night. That's Jesus. That's who he should be. Right? There's old gang signs in Catholic Church and you know the the like reconciliation, right? Like and I don't mean to knock on Catholics. I was just I was raised, I was brought up Catholic. I'm not I'm not knocking your religion. I understand you have traditions. But like what? Like where 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 does this stuff come from? I know you can find it in places. You can find like well, if you look at the the verse in the Bible this way, it means this thing, right? Like think about like infant baptism. Baptism is a step of obedience. And then parents go and get their kids baptized for the kid to be obedient, like, I don't get it, you know, so, Jesus is just a boy, man, but those guys, they, they just, they just started praying, and I was like, that's not, that, that ain't it, that's not God, man, that's not God, God takes action, God uses premeditated violence, yeah, you think about Jesus as man, right, go to the Old Testament, and look what that guy was doing, that dude was just popping off all over the place. Just just 
just villages. Just, hey, I built the world. Somebody broke it. I'm gonna just flood that thing and wipe it out. Let's try it again. That's violence. That's violence. That's God's nuclear bomb. That's Nagasaki, Hiroshima. Like, that's that's what's happening here. Right? He used violence. It's not... It's not something to avoid. It's something that you should be training, regardless. I, I mean, you should be training something because to be healthy, right? But very clearly, you need to be training some kind of defense, right? Some kind of martial arts, some kind of combative skill. Because, you know, like, you want to avoid violence, cool, but you don't always get to choose, Sometimes violence comes for you. So you gotta be a monster. So in the end, to summarize, I titled this, Was Jesus a Monster? I say yes, but in the right way. In a way that we should emulate. He was a monster who had it under control. He used it for good. He used it for the right reasons. Let me know what you think in the comments. Thanks for stopping by. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. Let your friends know we're here. Let's have some conversations. Have a great day.